Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. That's hard to go through wilderness times in your walk with Jesus, to go through the desert. That's incredibly difficult and it's not fun. And the whole time you're there, you're wondering like, God, when are you going to get me out of this desert? The dryness, I'm sick of the dryness. Where's the time of refreshing? It's coming. It'll be there. But maybe he has you there for just one specific reason. Maybe for just one person. I would encourage you to embrace the desert time. Nobody likes going through trials. Even people who say that they don't regret anything in life because it's gotten them to where they are today, they don't like to go through the valleys and deal with adversities. But Pastor James reminds us today how vital time in the wilderness is. We don't grow when we're on the mountaintop. We grow when we're climbing the mountain. If you're going through hard times, rejoice. Rejoice because you know that God will bring you through and he'll do it by making you better. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. started Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and we looked at this guy named Philip, okay? So that, that whole chapter starts with, with Saul, who is the bad guy. In the chapter 9, he's going to be saved, and his name's going to be changed to Paul. But he, he starts ravaging the church. He's super hostile towards the church. He hates Christians, hates anybody who is associated with Jesus and this new way that, that has come about. And so he was going house to house and dragging people out of their homes, men, women, didn't care, and was going to throw them in jail. And he was willing to start in Jerusalem. He kind of had his own great commission going, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the world, because we find him in Acts chapter 9 going up to Damascus, all right? That's the other, other, other ends of the world, however you say that. He was on his own commission. It was more of a demonic commission, though. He was working against God. Thought he was working for God. Turns out he's working against God. So he starts persecuting the church. Stephen had just lost his life in Acts chapter 7. Saul was there consenting to that death or approving of that death. And then he starts terrorizing everybody. That causes the believers in Jerusalem to spread out, which is what Jesus had told them to do at the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So we follow Philip. Philip was one of the seven chosen to serve tables, okay? He was a Hellenistic Jew, meaning he was a Greek-speaking Jew, sometimes seen as more of a worldly Jew than the traditional uh, Jerusalem Jews kind of a thing. God had used this man, set him aside. The Holy Spirit had filled him, and they, he was ministering there at the church. But then the Lord tells him, he's like, you need to go. You're going to go on a mission, and that started in Samaria, which we talked about this last week. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, considered half-breeds, right? Because uh, I think it's about seven or so, however many hundred years prior to that, the Syrians came down and took over that northern part of Jerusalem, carried off some, and left the poor ones there, the ones who weren't worth much, okay? I'm using their terminology. And so those who were left behind hooked up with the Gentiles, and that's a big no-no. 
all right? So once that took place, then the, the ones who stay pure, the ones who stay committed, they developed this, this hatred towards the Samaritans, so much so that they would go all the way around Samaria if they had to go to the northern part of Israel. They hated it. When they would not go in their neighborhood, so to speak, right? We understand what that's like. Or even our own nation, we experienced some of that hatred not even that long ago, right? We would avoid certain people, you know, all that ugliness, and that was happening back then too, Okay. Philip goes to Samaria. Jesus had already planted the seeds in Samaria. He sat with the lady at the well, John chapter 4. They went through Samaria a few times in, in when Jesus was going from the north part to Jerusalem. But Jesus had already planted all the seeds. And he told his disciples there in John chapter 4, he's like, listen, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. I planted the seeds. You need to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send the helpers. Uh, and so we get to see a fulfillment of that happen in Acts chapter 8. Philip's there preaches the gospel, people are getting saved, huge revival, huge revival. Like, we don't know how many, but I mean, you're talking 100 plus individuals that are getting saved because the gospel is being proclaimed, the gospel is getting preached. And so the word's going out, and then there's a guy, Simon, trying to, you know, he seemed like he was a good guy, but more than likely, he ended up being kind of more of a bad guy, regardless of whatever the attack the enemy wants to bring. Because anytime anything good's coming, I can promise you this, the enemy's going to follow that up with an attack. Hey, just so you know, in your own walk with Jesus, you're not exempt from that. None of us are. The Lord's moving in your life. I can promise you, Satan will be trying to move within your life as well, okay? Yes, that is absolutely true. Write it down in your Bibles, okay? Because that's going to happen. Does it happen all the time? No. No, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. And that's just the work. I mean, he's, he schemes, and there's always going to be a counterfeit. And so Philip is preaching the gospel. I mean, it just incredible, incredible, incredible. People are getting saved. This is amazing. And then the Lord does something very strange that doesn't make sense to our brains. He takes Philip away from the revival. He calls them away from the revival. You're like, no, that's, uh, no, I want to stay here where all these people are getting saved because this is where life is. This is incredible. I mean, the Samaritans, they're all getting saved, and, and people are just, you know, anytime, and it says in Acts chapter 8, they, he had all of their attention. He had all of their focus. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better ministry than that. I mean, like, they were 100% zeroed in on what he was saying, and there's yeah, Jesus, okay, we'll surrender our lives. They're getting baptized. People are laying hands on them. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's incredible. Everything that you could hope and dream in ministry was happening in Samaria. And then God said, all right, Philip, you're out. No, this is the height of everything that, I mean, man, he went from waiting tables Basically, in, in one sense, you know, serving the, the widows and, and all that stuff of the Church of Jerusalem. I mean, and now he's like, he's the evangelist. This is like Billy Graham before there ever was a Billy Graham. This is Greg Laurie before a Greg Laurie. This is the original Harvest Crusades. This is happening. This is literally the Harvest Crusade. Jesus told them. And God's like, all right, you're out. You're gone. No, no, I can't leave now because it's never been better. It's never been better. Isn't it amazing when God does that to our lives? And isn't it so frustrating <laughs> if we're honest? You can be honest. You might as well be because he knows when you're lying uh, and he knows when you're telling the truth. So you might as well just be honest with your feelings. It's like, no, Lord, 
No. I mean, we don't know Philip's heart. I mean, this dude's spirit-filled, and, and the Lord says go. He just goes, okay? I'm not going to assume that he was fighting against this or anything like that. I'm just going to say, if it was me in the story, I'd be like, no, look what's happening. No, I'm not going to go. Okay, you're going to have to drag me away. Maybe teleport me. But look at this reference. So remember, Luke is the one who's kind of pinning, writing the book of Acts through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me read you this reference. You'll know this one. This is a parable that Jesus shared. In Luke chapter 15, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. This is the religious people. They complained, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners. Oh, no. Right? Like, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's the complaint. He receives sinners. He eats with them. He breaks bread with them. That was a, it's one thing to talk to them. But when you're sharing germs with sinners, that's a no-no. You're, you're contaminating yourself. You got to understand, that was, their, that was their logic. And you're breaking bread with sinners. Somehow, you're going to get that sin stuff on you because you shared a piece of bread with them. It says, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he spoke to them, or he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a 100 sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one, which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, never, ever, ever forget that part. We know the story of the 99. We know all of us have been the one sheep. We know that. You might still be the one sheep. I don't know. But please do not ever miss that last part. We always think it's like begrudgingly. No, no. He's celebrating the fact that he got the one. Okay, so go ahead and underline that in your Bible and write your name there. And remember that when he got you, he was celebrating over that. Please remember, he is good, okay? He's that good. So he, he's rejoicing when he finds it. And it says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. And that word there, that term lost, it means to be in peril, in peril. It's a dangerous situation, life-threatening. Eternity is on the line there. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You got to understand, this is who we're dealing with. A God who is saying, listen, um, these 99, they're safe. They're secure. They're in my hands. Nobody can snatch them out of my hands. They're good to go. I'm going to go after the one. He's always been on a mission to go after the one since the beginning of time. You were that one. Your family members are the one. You got to understand that. He has always been on a mission to go after the one. Always, always, always. When will that stop? When it's done. When the mission is done. Right? So he's pursuing the one. And that's why he can leave a whole village of people who have just repented to pursue the one. To pursue the one. And that's why even as frustrating as it may be for us, who he's using in the ministry when he says, okay, your time there is done. Now you get to go here. 
You're going to leave the 99, and I'm going to send you on a mission to go to the one. That's mind-blowing when you think about it, that this brilliant God who is already on mission from beginning of time says, okay, hey, you know what? You're on mission with me. I'm going to send you to go get the one. When he includes you in on that little mission trip, it's incredible. It's amazing. This is what he does with Philip. He's like, Philip, good job. Thousands of people are getting saved. That's incredible. I need you to go to the desert. What? I don't want to go to the desert. Have you seen Samaria? Samaria is really a beautiful area. It is. If you go there, you drive through there, uh, especially nowadays, they, they figured out all this crazy stuff, um, agricultural speaking, where, I mean, man, they, this, there's valleys that are just green and lush and just plants and produce growing everywhere there in Israel. Incredible. That journey from from Jerusalem up into the Galilee region, which is the northern part, um, and Nazareth and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's incredible. It's beautiful. And there's some, some places of it that remind me of like, I don't know if you've ever been, but like cruising through San Diego. I love San Diego. Beautiful town. Crazy town, but beautiful town. It's all hilly and green and just weather's perfect, unlike Amarillo, uh, where I was just at this past week. Uh, where it was freezing and ice was falling from the sky, uh, and wind was blowing 60 miles an hour. And it's just a normal day in Amarillo. You're like, why? Um, that whole Sumerian region, it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You'd say it's, it's fertile. It's just an amazing place. And here, through the messenger, through this messenger, verse 26 of, of Acts chapter 8, Philip gets another commissioning, so to speak. Verse 26, it says, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. That's a sentence in your Bible. Why is that there? Who cares? What does it matter? No, you need to understand it matters, okay? That, that is not just put there, you know, just because, right? It's not like God's like, I just want to make sure that you know geographically where, no, this is communicating to Philip, ain't nobody there. Philip, I need you to go from Samaria, where hundreds of people are giving their lives to me. Your ministry has never been more successful, and I need you to leave this fruitful area, come down to the desert. And my question would be, why? (laughs) What? Why? Philip knows, he knows this area. They all know this area. They all know Gaza and that, that desert road that goes um, south from Jerusalem there. But I love this, verse 27. So he arose and went. If he did complain, the Bible doesn't include it. It doesn't say it. So we're led to believe, more than likely, there was no complaint. He just did it. God said, go. He said, okay, leave all this and go. Okay, how could he do that? He trusts God. He trusts God. This isn't his mission. This life's not about him. He gets it. He understands that. He's witnessing how God is moving tremendously and mightily through his word. And his heart is is in such a place where he's like, all right, I'll go. Where do you want me to go? I'll go. I want you to leave this and go to the desert. Okay. Because he trusts that in God's leading, he's not done with him. 
even though he doesn't understand what he even means. He doesn't even know who's there. He has no idea. He doesn't know what he's stepping into. He has no idea what the future holds. This is just going to be a momentary stop in his life because he doesn't live in the desert, but he does go down there for one day, not even a day. There are times where God will show up in our lives. Things couldn't be better. And he's like, all right, I need you to spend some time in the desert. God, you don't need me to spend time in the desert because that seems contrary to most of what I hear nowadays. I don't want to go in the wilderness. No, I need you to go in the wilderness. Wilderness means dryness, absence of life, no vitality. God, isn't that opposite of what you want? Wouldn't you rather me be in Samaria where people are getting saved and all that stuff? He's like, no, no, no. For your own heart, I need you to go to the desert. I don't know if you've been there in your life, personally. That's hard to go through wilderness times in your walk with Jesus, to go through the desert. That's incredibly difficult. And it's not fun. And the whole time you're there, you're wondering, like, God, when are you going to get me out of this desert? The dryness. I'm sick of the dryness. Where's the time of refreshing? It's coming. It'll be there. But maybe he has you there for just one specific reason, maybe for just one person. I would encourage you to embrace the desert time in your life. Embrace the desert time in your walk with Jesus. Everything in me fights against it. Everything in me fights against it. I don't want the desert time in my life. I don't want the dryness. I don't, want, I don't like the times where I open up my Bible and I read it, and I'm like, God, where are you at? Where are you at? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. You don't, you don't like the time where you open the Word, and you're like, OK, I'm not hearing you. Where are you at? Why does my life feel so dry? So barren, hold on, hold on, because he's doing something. I don't know what he's doing, but I can promise you this. You'll come out of the wilderness experience, out of the desert experience, stronger than when you went into it. Fortunately, you're not going to see many books sold on that topic, I don't think. Not many devotionals concerning that of like, hey, going through the desert, sweet, embrace it, right? Now, everybody's going to be like, no, 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 you need to whatever. Listen, if the Lord's leading you through the wilderness, you need to understand that. Psalm 23, he is the good shepherd, and he will guide, he'll lead you through valleys, the shadow of death. That is a part of our life, okay? That's a part of every single one of our journeys. But you're never alone. You're never alone. Philip, he's not alone. Look at, look at how this goes. It says, he rose, he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Now, you need to understand, this is not the Ethiopia of our modern days. This would actually, this is still in Africa, okay, the continent there, uh, but this would be just south of Egypt, all right? This, this Ethiopia, right? So still on the continent of Africa, but geographically, it's, it's more just, uh, just south of Egypt there, actually probably still kind of connected to Egypt. So he says, uh, there's a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. She was kind of the ruling one, right? You had pharaohs, but then you had like these, uh, Candace would be more of a title than anything. She was probably more so running the nation. She's got this guy who works for her, this, this eunuch. He gets to go to Jerusalem 
but he's in charge of all her treasury. And it says he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. So he's very wealthy because not just anybody had their own chariot, all right? He's a proselyte, which means that he's, he's non-Jewish, but he is kind of converted to Judaism. And he gets to go and worship, but he doesn't get to go into the temple to worship because he's a eunuch, means that he's been damaged. And if you had any physical damage on your body, which is what a eunuch would be, you can't go into the temple. You could only go up to the gates so far. But this guy, he's committed. I mean, he went from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to go into worship. So according to this story, he's on his way back, meaning that he's been in Jerusalem the entire time the book of Acts has been happening, more than likely. Pentecost, he probably was in the city. Who knows if he was in the city when Jesus was led through that city, through his trial and then ultimately his crucifixion. We don't know if he was there for that long, but there's a really good chance as the church is blowing up in Jerusalem, this guy was in the same town. But he's headed back. He's in his own chariot. He's cruising down the road, this desert road where no one lives. He was returning, sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. When the Spirit said to Philip, so here's Philip on this desert road, so he gets there, and he's like, okay, there's nobody here. So this angel of the Lord spoke to him, says to go, go south. He goes south. He's just there on this desert road, and then the Spirit speaks to him. The Spirit says to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So this is a weird story, okay? Um, some guys would say, like, this guy is cruising down the road in his chariot, and Philip has to run him down. I don't know if that's true or not, honestly, because this guy could have been, I mean, if he's reading and driving, that's not a good combination, right? We know how that works. It's like, it's like modern-day texting and driving. Like, just don't do that. Um, so he could have been pulled over and was reading. He was reading it out loud because that's what students did back then. It was customary to read the Bible out loud. So I don't know if he's cruising down the road and Philip just is a good sprinter or runner. I don't know, but he's commanded. He's like, go and chariot jack this guy. Like, go steal this guy. Go jump onto his chariot. And you're like, okay. Listen, don't, don't do that, okay? Like, don't just run up and jump in somebody's car, okay? You're like, I really felt like the Lord told me to jump into your car. Don't do that because we live in Texas. And you know, everybody's packing usually, but uh, do not do that. Um, he's not going to call you to jump into somebody's car, all right? But he may call you to go and approach somebody. Please be willing and sensitive to that. So, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? So here's this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, not reading this, but reading more like this, the scroll. This is Isaiah, which is a huge scroll, okay, gigantic scroll. So we don't know if he has the entire thing or just portions of it, but he's reading Isaiah 53. And so Philip runs up to him. He's like, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And this is brilliant. His response, how can I unless somebody guides me? How can I unless somebody teaches me? I'm reading it. I mean, I can read the words, but how can I understand it? And the key term there is understand. Do you understand what you're reading? Or more specifically, who you're reading about? Hope 
incredible to learn about the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the apostles within the early church. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us in this study through the book of Acts. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, feel free to visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. We'd also love to hear from you, so would you let us know how you've been blessed by Bread for the Broken? You can drop us a note through the contact page on our website. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. So for directions, service times, and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we encourage you to read ahead and to begin to study the book of Acts on your own. Although it may seem unrelatable because it took place thousands of years ago, that couldn't be further from the truth. God is still living and active today, and His Spirit is present and seeking those who believe. And if you let Him, God can do incredibly powerful things through you for the kingdom. So the question we'll leave you with today is, will you say yes to what God is doing? And will you trust in Him to move today just as He did all of those years ago? There's still so much to learn from the book of Acts, but that's all the time we have for today. Join us again next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.